Welcome to Bethel Cleveland's Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information on this podcast or how to get connected, go to BethelCleveland.com. Turn with me, if you could, the first John. It's been a long time since I preached out of first John. Kind of excited about it. By the way, happy Valentine's Day. Everybody knows Valentine's Day tomorrow, right? This is what? This is Valentine's Eve. All right, so happy Valentine's Eve. Hopefully, if you're married or on your way there, uh, do something a little special, and uh, it'll, be, it'll be received greatly. Also, we're celebrating today is, is, is in the Super Bowl, a city that begins with C with a team that begins with B. No, it's not the Browns. Cincinnati. And someplace out west, I forget. Uh, but we're rooting for Cincinnati. I'm sorry if you're an L.A. fan. You know, we'll pray for you after the service. But, but Cincinnati is going to pull it out of the hat today. It's going to be an amazing thing. So we've got a great day coming in front of us. And I hope you have a lot of fun uh, being a part of all that today. But in 1 John 3, we're going to look just in a minute. The, a phrase that, that grabbed me this week was manner of love. Manner of love. And so in 1 John chapter 3, it says something really interesting that, that, that the love that God has is a love that is transformational. I mean, it's not just a love where it's reciprocated. Oh, I love you too. Valentine's Day is big for that. You know, when you're in elementary school, do they even allow this anymore? They, they have little hearts, candy hearts with masks on them or something. No, I'm not just saying. But they, you got... We used to, you know, exchange these little bags of candy hearts, you know, and back then we had no consciousness of germs, so we handed these things to one another. You know, they'd say things like, I love you, or you're sweet, or whatever. I forget now. I haven't had one of those in a long time. But anyway, uh, you know, we did that, and we exchanged, in, the, in our classrooms, we exchanged cards. Like, everyone was commanded by their teachers to bring in cards, and they would always have some extra cards if you didn't have it. And you'd, you'd write out a card for everyone to class. So you leave with a bag full of cards and candy. It was kind of a fun celebration day, you know. But agape love is not just kind of loving something, someone because there's reciprocating effect to it. Hey, I love you. And you're gonna say you love me and that's gonna make us really happy. But it's a love that transcends the potential fruit that would come out of that. It's a love that loves somebody that you may not even know, you may not even, you may not even see that, you may not even, now you may not even see them, you may not engage with them like what we're doing in Bulgaria and Kenya, but you are transcending it saying this is a God kind of love that is sacrificial and it's, and it's without any expectation of a great response from the other side. It's agape love. So agape love allows you to love people that you may not agree with. This is a day for that, isn't it? Loving people you may not even agree with. The God kind of love which Christians are meant to emulate. We are meant to, to mimic it. Whatever is in God's divine nature and his character. By the way, it's been one of my life goals. There's a couple themes in my life. You know, I've preached thousands of times now in my life. And I've looked over, I've got every sermon just about that I've ever preached, including the first one which was in 1978. I've got a copy of my notes. I look over them. I'm embarrassed. 
<laughs> oh my gosh, it was horrible. You know, and I remember it, I, it was horrible. And uh, Cindy didn't even say anything after we were done, you know, it's like, hey, where do you want to go for lunch? You know, it's that kind of, so I remember, you know, and I, but I, I look over these sermons and I did this a few years ago where I classified them and they generally followed like three different categories. One of the categories is the nature and character of God. I love to challenge people in their thoughts about God. And not that I know it all, trust me, I'm constantly learning about that God is actually not like me sometimes. We do have that mentality in America. We are so narcissistic that we think God must think the same ways I think. And that creates kind of terrorist. Terrorists are, are, are radical people, radical extreme people that go, when, when you think that this is the way God thinks, you can become very mean about it. This is what God thinks. He likes spaghetti, I like spaghetti. We're like, you know, simpatico. It's, uh, it's, we're together. And we think that we're just a reflection of who God is. Let me tell you, you were created in the image of God. The potential is there. But it doesn't always manifest in the way that we'd want it to manifest. That we should actually be loving people that are conservative and loving people that are liberal, loving people that are, you may not agree with what they say, loving Democrats, loving Republicans, loving libertarians and everything else in between. Even radicals, we learn to love them because we have compassion for the soul even though we may radically disagree with what they think. Do you know that, how much that changes the church and the environment we're in when you can take on a love, and this is the part I wanna get across, this is my little thesis statement. The love of God is transformational. The love of God sets people up in their identity and sometimes in their destiny. It causes people to know who they are. When you speak out with the love of God, which typically transcends our normal thoughts. You know, like I talked about last week, the lady in Costco's, you know, came up, said her arm was hurting to me. I didn't know her, she didn't know me. I prayed for her on the spot though. I had to have a transcendent love. It was my day off. I don't do Jesus on my day off. <laughs> no, I, I do. He's there, he's there, he's there, he's there. Just calm down, calm down. Don't make judgments. Give me agape, give me agape. Transcend your feelings right now and love me, okay. Yes, Jesus is there, but it's a scratch and sniff kind of a thing. It's... It's sometimes a little bit under the surface. Like, it's my day. I'm not doing this right now. Why are you coming to me? Where's the ministry team? You know, it's that kind of a thing. <laughs> and so things will come in your life. You realize, I don't want to deal with this. I'm not even sure I like this person. Go away. I mean, all these things will come into your mind. You have to know how to engage the love of God because your love will have an effect. But God's love through you can change them. God's love through you causes people to snap into their true identity. It's a matrix moment. It's the red pill. I mean, they realize, wait, who am I? I know who I am. I got a moment where I understand. John addresses, I mean, 1 John is so radically powerful about the love of God. We need to all reread it again because it totally goes countercultural right now. That you cannot say you love God but hate your brother. It's through 1 John. And he redefines what love is over and over again. He speaks to what love really 
looks like, what it looks like to imitate Jesus Christ. I love what Jordan Peterson says. Uh, I was referring to him again last week, and this is partly a continuation of last week. But Jordan Peterson is a great philosopher, uh, 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 professor out of Toronto, that has gone through a radical transformation in the past several years, especially, where he's, he's begun to understand the things of God, but he's so, he's so stinking smart. See, he wouldn't use the word stinking. He's so stinking smart that at times that cognitive aspect of his life has a difficult time figuring out the immense love of God. But he said that, I was listening to it this week, actually from a couple years ago. But on YouTube, I was watching this, and he said, he said, how you cannot, he's very, very direct at times. He gets very passionate. He says, you cannot call yourself a Christian if you're not acting like Christ. Now, that's a powerful statement because immediately in the modern world, we say, well, I'm, I, I'm, I'm a Christian. I didn't say I was Jesus. And so it gives us an excuse to be subpar gives us an excuse for constant compromise in our lives. But when you start to read 1 John, you start to feel the pressure like, this is really what God's saying through his prophets and through his apostles as he speaks through scripture. He's saying, you cannot hate someone. You cannot cancel somebody. You cannot ghost somebody if you're a believer in Jesus Christ because Jesus would not do that because love transcends in that situation. Yeah, but if I love them, they'll think I agree with them. Nonsense. And if they believe that, they believe that. Who cares? You are called. We are called. I am called. Got to make sure I'm speaking in inclusive terms because I go through the same thing. I have to rise above things and say, I'm going to love them like Jesus would love them, even though I'm praying that the Lord would use their difficulties to bring him to Jesus. But the Bible says the kindness of God leads to repentance, which means change of direction. The kindness of God changes people. It transforms people. Try it out sometime. Be kind to somebody. Uh, policeman stopped. I got stopped twice by police in, in like a two-week period. I don't know what the Lord's saying through that. Probably just slow down. I don't know. But, <laughs> but when it happens like that, I think there's like a parable here message of authority and stopping me. And, and so I pay attention to it. I pray into it. Lord, was that you? Just checking. If it's just natural, you know, global thing, I'll accept it. But if you're speaking, so, and I know you're out there saying, well, that's stupid. Do you believe that God's speaking all around you, all the time, in every situation? I kind of do. I'm sorry. So, and if you don't, I'm, I'm sorry for you. But anyway, I'm transcending that right now and loving you anyway. So in 1 John chapter 3, it says this. It says, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I, because of my 1970s mind, which you got a lot of last week. 1970s mind, I cannot, I cannot escape the desire to sing when I read 1 John 3, 1. And if you're from the late 70s especially, You'll remember this song, but so when I read, because they were big in the 70s, they were big in scripture song. So most things that I know from scripture are songs from the 70s, you know. You know, uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving in our heart. Remember that? Enter his courts with praise. We did a lot of hand actions back then. I will sing this is the day that the Lord, had. those kinds of things. I can't get away from it, you know. Yeah, yeah, a bunch of old people out there singing with me. First... <laughs> First John 3, first John 3, 
Verse one says this, behold what manner of love the Father. I mean, this is so packed full, I could, I could exegete this probably for more than 10 minutes. It says, behold, or look. And by the way, this behold is not a typical like, behold. <laughs> and we don't use this word a lot nowadays. Behold. <laughs> it just, you know, it's usually, what's that? Look. You know, but it's behold. But this is not just, hey, look. This is a looking with a spiritual sense of understanding. Behold, what manner of love the Father. Now, this word manner is interesting. It's like, it's, I was studying it this week, doing a little deep dive on it and, it, and it could be used in like, what country is this from? Behold, what country is this from? Love from the Father. Behold, what manner of love the Father. You see the very heart of God. You see the divine nature of God in this. He's expressing he's a father. He's building, or I shouldn't say building, he's, he's inviting a family of adopted children, sons and daughters into it. And he says, look spiritually at the kind of love that the father has. Oh, we used to sing this. Sorry, I spoke a little loud. The baby's crying. Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Anyone remember that? Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we would be called the sons of God. It's okay, ladies. You can be a son. If I gotta be a bride, you gotta be a son. Be called the sons of God. It actually says children of God in Scripture. So behold what manner of love, agape is used there, God kind of love, the Father has bestowed on us. Behold what manner, what manner, what country is this from? This is otherworldly, it's outstanding, it's not human, it's awesome that God would love me and, and, and call himself my Father. That behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of God. I, I love this and that, that whole thing that we should be called is, is very particular and specific. It's summoning by name. There's something about your name being called. God is calling out names. The love of God, the love of God is an, an ability to communicate to someone as if they're hearing their name from God and it calls them as children of God. It's like the prodigal son last week, which I alluded to, where he, he came home even though he was a son. He had been separated. He ran away, had an inheritance, squandered it. It's like a picture of what modern day Christians would call being backslidden, where you've fallen away from the father's house, from the father's way. He didn't leave, you did. And you got yourself in big trouble and thought, I need to get you to get jailhouse Jesus. You know, you think you're in a difficult situation. I'm gonna go back to God and I'm just gonna feel bad about myself the rest of my life, but at least I'll know I'll go to heaven. That's the way believers think. And what happens is you come back to the Jesus house and then the Jesus house, the father's love calls you a son in that situation because it's his kind of love. 
Yeah, but you don't know what I did, Father. I mean, I, 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 I spent my money on things that you would not, you don't even wouldn't approve of. You, you wouldn't want to be with me anymore if you knew how I spent my money over there in, in the Decapolis area where all the crazy stuff happened, you know, the Las Vegas of old times. And it was horrible, Lord. It was horrible what I did. I wasted it. I have no, I have no right to be a son again. I'll just serve you. If that's okay, I'll just serve you. The father's heart was like, actually, he doesn't really answer it like nonsense. He just says, get him a robe. Get him a ring. Get him sandals. Put a turban on his head. He's declaring over, you are my son. My son was lost. He probably started screaming out in the field. My son who was lost has now been found. It was the theme of that whole passage. And as a description of the nature of God, when you get that kind of love, I almost said something really bad, Cindy. When you get that kind of love, whether you believe in open borders or not, you receive the immigrants in. Now, you work behind the scenes, you say, we need to close the border. I get all that. I'm not stupid. I really do get all that. I understand how immigration works. I married one of those immigrants. I snuck her across the border 44 years ago. She's still illegal, but we're working on that. No, I just, you know. <laughs> no, so, no. Yes, if the FBI is listening, it's not true. I was just joking. She is an American citizen now. <laughs> so let's just use that for a minute because it's so apropos. If there's an illegal immigrant, meaning someone who came across the border without proper means through the U.S. government, what would you do with them right now? What is your attitude in your heart? You say, well, I disagree with that. Well, that's fine. Who cares? They're here and they're in need. Now, again, you work behind the scenes. You elect people to, to back up. That's the way it's supposed to work in America. But in the heart of a believer, you allow agape love to rise up in your heart and learn how to love people that maybe have not approached things in the way that you would approach it or actually have broken laws that are in place. So this is a ripe opportunity. Something like two million immigrants have crossed over the border just in the past uh, five or six months, whatever it's been, I don't know, not too long. And so we have people right here in this city that, that you will engage with, potentially engage with. We're considering how we can help people like that, you know, shoot, if they're gonna come over and while the government's working through all their stuff, let's introduce them to Jesus. Let's speak the love of God. Let's move in an agape transcending love. There should be a lot of clapping going on right now, really, it should. We should put that up on the screen, you know, applause or something, like I could have a little button here, you know, like the old 50s game shows, you know, I could just, you know, anyway. So there's a pattern in scripture that you'll see over and over again. God has overwhelming love that is, is an unusual manner for the situation. So sometimes you've got to move in situations where your heart is tested. I can't love this person because of what they've done. I can't love this person because of who they are. I can't love this person because of who they believe. Yes, you can. Maybe not with phileo love. You can with agape love. Again, I understand there's things you don't agree with. We need to make sure that we tell them, look, I don't like your sin. And we, we always feel compelled to tell people about their sins that we don't like. 
But I really don't see Jesus doing that. Jesus was a part of a overlord government called the Romans and did his best. He paid his taxes and things like that. But boy, behind the scenes, he was instituting a kingdom that 400 years later overwhelmed the Roman Empire. Some would say it caused it to collapse ultimately and spread the gospel worldwide. Just through 12 men that started following Jesus, boom, 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 generation after generation of people that said, yes, I'm a Roman. Yes, I'm gonna obey the rules. Yes, I'm gonna do what I need to do. But we are a part of the building, emerging kingdom of the family of God and we are going to trust that in a very primary way because we know love covers a multitude of sin. Love never fails and perfect love casts out fear. <laughs> crowd, this crowd needs some work. No. Fortunately, I'm going up to Middleburg in a few minutes. So, God's overwhelming love, God's desire. <laughs> I'm, I'm loving, I'm loving, even though I disagree. God's desire for family, God's father nature. Think about this. This is part of the divine nature of God. He loves people that are unlovable at times, all the time. God's ability to see what others can't see. Now listen to this. If you start to release yourself in agape love, when it touches people, it brings them to their identity. What manner of love is this? What country is this from? What otherworldly this is that when it is spoken, when it is exercised, when the love of God comes forth, agape love, it causes people to the mask, the the, the haze, the fear begins to come off of them because you have power through the love of God to dismantle strongholds in people's lives as you love them, as you minister to them, as you serve them, to transform them and give them a moment where they say, whoa, what if I'm really a child of God? Who is this God that loves me so much that he bestows upon me that I may be called a son of God, a child of God. What a powerful thing. And you know what? You practice on your family. I'm supposed to be talking about family, so I'm gonna throw this in. You practice on your spouse. I'm gonna love with a transcending love. You know what would happen in your relationship if when you're wounded or when you're offended or when you're hurt, you kind of pull that aside and say, I'm gonna respond with love. I'm gonna respond the way Jesus would respond. In this. And sometimes you gotta think about it. Because we've been so trained in our own ways and our own nature through our own little clans and our own little tribes that we live in. Well, this is what you do. You know, you, you cancel that person. You take them off your top five, whatever you wanna say, you know. I just get them out of my life because it's not good for my soul. It actually is. Aggravation is good for the soul. It fashions you. It's like the wind and the waves that rub and create smooth edges. You put a sharp rock in the water, five years later, it's smoothed out. There's just something about the constant movement. It's actually good. So you embrace now the move of what happens on this side of heaven to conform you and shape you into the image of God so that someday you will freely move in agape love. You're being conformed into the image of Jesus. Jesus is expressing himself through you. 
He has this great desire, whereas he says, you know, with the Holy Spirit, Romans, Romans chapter 8, he says, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. I mean, he's the Father. We're the children. We're growing up in his love. God's ability to see what others can't see. God's extraordinary, transformational, overwhelming love. Now, turn to Ephesians 5. I referred to it briefly last week. Ephesians 5. Keep, keep 1 John uh, 3 in your mind. What manner of love the Father has given unto us that we may be called sons of God, children of God. Ephesians 5, 1 through 3, very powerful. Ephesians is, if you read no other book in the Bible this year and you want to meditate on a good one, pick Ephesians. It will transform your soul. It's got two parts to it, the first three chapters, the second three chapters. First three chapters about the mystical power of amazing God and his love. The second three chapters are about how it works on earth. <laughs> the practicality of marriage, the practicality of raising children, all these kinds of things. Beautiful. You want to focus on it. Therefore, Ephesians 5.1, be imitators or mimics of God as dear children. There it is again. As dear, dear children, walk in love. It's not optional. Say, well, I'm going to try to do that on Mondays. Not so sure about Sundays or Fridays, you know. You know, I'll try at least one day a week. Well, okay, that's good. But this isn't about discipline. It's about transformation of the heart. If you transform the heart, it doesn't matter where you are or what time it is, you will move into things of God. Yeah, we're all going to make mistakes and difficulty, but the percentages are going to rise radically as you become a person of the spirit and nature of God, tasting of his divine nature and worship it's fellowship and communing with people that may not be your favorite people, but they, they're shaping you and challenging you and discipling you in a way. So verse two says, and walk in love as Christ also has loved us. See the comparison? And given himself for us. In other words, he's saying, you, Cindy, you, Steve, walk in love by giving yourself and offering yourself as a sacrifice for a sweet-smelling aroma. Mimic the Father. He even gives you some examples to chew on. Fornication, verse three. And all uncleanliness, you need to look that up in the Greek, you'll be amazed. All uncleanliness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. You know what, saints is uh, aglions, the, called, the, the holy ones, the separated ones. We're supposed to be separate. We are supposed to be accidentally thought of as being Jesus. Yeah, what happened to you this weekend? I don't know, something my, my nature's changed. Yeah, you're like, you're like totally different. The things you talk about, how your attitude, everything else, it's shifting. You're, we're gonna advance you in this company because it's almost like you've had some kind of, you know, come to Jesus moment or something. Well, actually, I have. So we act like God would. We give love, sacrificial love, sweet-smelling aroma. Immorality in the kingdom of God is not fitting. I don't care what the excuse is. It's cheaper on rent if we live together. No. Now, there's a price. Part of the sacrifice is we are living separate. We're keeping our bodies holy and sacred before the Lord as an understanding that I'm not gonna be fornicating, I'm not gonna be immoral, I'm not gonna do things that I know are out of the bounds of what aglions or saints do. It's not fitting for saints. It got really quiet. Button's broke. 
<laughs> Love defines us. You know, uh, in Canada some years ago, of course, I, I lived there for 10 years. My beautiful wife, Cindy, children, family emerging. We did this thing. We did a lot of things back in the late 80s called servant evangelism. Servant evangelism was, was a lot of fun. It was a great revolution in the church. And it was learning about how to go out in public and serve people's normal needs. So we did things like, you know, at a 5K or 10K, we'd hand out water. We'd man water stations for whoever the, the sponsor was. Wear T-shirts, you know, that would say SWAT on the back, S-W-A-T, which was servants with a task, S-W-A-T. That's right, servants with a task. And then we'd have the name of our church. We were a vineyard church. We'd, it'd be on the front, you know. And we did all these different, we had like 30 different outreaches we'd do. It was so much fun. We'd chase, change people's, uh, we'd top off people's uh, a windshield wiper. Thank you, Cindy. Windshield wiper fluid in their cars. You know, they'd line up in our parking lot. And of course, while they're popping the hood and changing it, they'd take their time doing it so we get enough time to speak to the person behind the wheel. And we would chat with them, just say, hey, what are you doing today? You know, we'd get in, we'd get into a spiritual conversation with them. Some we would lead to the Lord. We'd plant seeds, you know, and just see what God would do. It was a lot of fun. Anyway, one of the ones we did was light, bulbs, light bulb distribution in poor areas where people just couldn't afford to buy light bulbs. So we'd walk around with these big bags full of light bulbs, you know, 60 watt, 100 watt, whatever. And we'd go up to houses, we'd knock on the door and say, hey, we're from uh, Vineyard uh, Church over in Rossay. And uh, we just want to know, do you, have any, do you have any need for light bulbs in your house? We will install them. And we actually carry around one of those little, you know, step stools, you know, with us. You'd have a team of three people. One would have the step stool. One would be carrying the stuff. Usually the other one was the spokesman. And they'd knock on a door and people would invite you in there because these free light bulbs, you know, so they would invite you in. And I remember they told the story, this friend of mine who's part of our church, one of our uh, uh, team members, he, he went into this house where they had one light bulb in the entire house. They just couldn't afford it. And they, they admitted that, they said, oh, you know, it's, things are really tight, you know, we can't, can't you know, we got to cut somewhere. And so we've got that one light bulb in this whole house. And so they're talking to this woman, and she goes, well, what do you do? He said, well, we brought her step stool. We can go around, and well, what's it going to cost me? Nothing. It's just free. Jesus loves you. We just want you to know that, that God loves you, that Jesus gave his life for you. It's just a little basic thing, you know, because we knew they were going to ask more questions as you're putting the light bulbs in. It'd take like 15, 20 minutes to do what they were doing. And so they were getting ready to put their light bulbs up, and a little, a little toddler, I don't know, what is, is a three-year-old, like a three-year-old uh, He's not a toddler, he's whatever he is, you know, he's uh, preschool. <laughs> and uh, comes running in, rambunctious little three-year-old boy, you know, and he's running around, ah, like this, you know. And, and she, she turns and goes, oh, forget about him, he's, he's my little mistake. That's what she said. And this guy who led the team, something about him, I don't know if, you know, from his own personal life or experience, but he, the love of God it wasn't judgment. He could have easily said, you know, don't talk about like that about your child. It's gift of God. But he didn't. He graciously slipped in and said, oh, actually, you know, God views him as a, as a gift that is given to you. Starts to talk to this woman. Another team member starts to minister to a little boy, talking with him, just playing with him, whatever. And within minutes, this woman is weeping. She's just, she goes, I, I don't know. I've just had a rough time. She starts to share her life and everything. They led her to the Lord on the spot. Then they, she went with them throughout the house as they're screwing these light bulbs in every, there's like 20 light bulbs or something like that. 
She, we went broke on that night, you know, we just put light bulbs everywhere. And, and on the way out, you know, they all hugged her, you know, she got connection for more communication and everything else. But they walked out of the house and at the end of the driveway, they looked back because they remember what it looked like when they walked in in the evening. It was only one light really dimly lit. Now they look back at a house that was fully bright and the Lord spoke to the leader of our team and said, this is the kingdom of God. The people that have one light bulb. And some people in their soul have one light bulb left, you know. And people with agape love come into that situation. What manner of love is this that the Father would bestow upon you an understanding that you are a child of God, that you are a son of God, that you are special in his eyes. And I've got a robe for you and I've got sandals for you and I've got a light bulb for you. And I'm gonna demonstrate to you that God's love transcends what we're seeing in the news media right now. I felt Jesus on that. In the Old Testament, when God shows up to people, that kind of love changes them. When he gets with Abram, he becomes Abraham. His identity shifts. His name meant father. God says, no, it's Abraham, father of many nations. But I'm, I'm 99, haven't had any children. Don't have the ability to have children. Abraham. He declares something over you that you have to live and grow into. When prophetic believers, which you are, begin to go around and speak destiny, even to the changing of names, it's just an old-fashioned way of an identity shift. The changing of names. Your name was this, now it's that. It, it went right down uh, kind of went up, went down. Yeah, went down to his grandson, Jacob, who we know was a sly one. He robbed his brother Esau out of his inheritance and the father's blessing. I mean, there was a lot of, you talk about dysfunction. There was dysfunction among these kids and Esau said, I'll kill him. And Esau could do it. He was a hunter. I'll kill him. And he had men with him. Jacob had to flee for his life. And in the midst of all that, he gets into a situation, several situations actually. He gets into one where a, he, he well, let's put it short because I'm out of time. He wrestles with God. And when he finally, he has, this is hard to expect to understand, but he wrestles with God in such a way he will not let God go. God touches his hip and knocks his hip out of place and, and prophesies over him that you have been called Jacob, now you will be called Israel. In other words, you've been called trickster, supplanter, con man, but now you're gonna be called prince of God. This is what happens when God touches you. You may limp for a while, but you got a new name. <laughs> and you're not driven by the idea that I'm the guy that cons people out of everything they have, but now you're like, I'm a prince. I'm royalty before God. That is the transformation that comes in the power of God. Let's stand together if we could. <laughs> There's been so many great songs over the years. There's one that hangs in my head a, a cultural song kind of speaks to this. It's great. You need to go home and read the lyrics. There's, they're so humorous in now, you know, 50 years later. But some of you will remember the song Johnny Cash did in San Quentin Prison. He was, he was singing there. 
prison, you, you can see it on YouTube, it's pretty amazing. I mean, they're, they're just fired up in there, you know. And he sings this song, Boy Named Sue. That was a little boy, it came out, I was real little, I was probably 12 when it came out. But it always imprinted in my mind something that the, the struggle with identity and how that words can actually shape your whole life. I mean, even at 10, 11 years, 12 years old, it was shaping in my mind like, wow. And I kind of had a, a relatable experience, not to that extreme. But a boy named Sue is, you know, you, you'll remember the words, most of you probably won't, but uh, you know, my daddy left home when I was three. It didn't leave much for Ma and me, just this old guitar and an empty bottle of booze. I don't blame him because he ran and hid, but the meanest thing he ever did was before he left, he went and named me Sue. So it was a boy named Sue. And so the story goes on his whole life. You know, he's this tough guy emerging. And then he meets his father. They have a big fight. It's such a transformational song. It's hilarious in some ways, but it's transformational because his dad kind of pins him down and they're in his, you know, mutual lockdown with one another. And a revelation comes to his heart as his dad said, I named you Sue because I wasn't going to be there and I wanted you to be tough in your life. And it shaped his entire life. And so kind of tongue in cheek at the end, uh, after this kind of reconciliation story, Johnny Cash says, you know, if I ever have a son, I'm going to name him. And he pauses and you think, oh no, is he going to name his son Sue? And he says, Bill or George, anything but Sue. And that's the way it ends, you know, because he realizes, you know, okay, I get what you were doing, but let's not do that again. And so when you say something over someone, it shapes them. It could shape their life in a negative way. Anti-prophetic is gossip. Judgment, slander, canceling. That's anti-prophetic. It's demonic prophetic. It's speaking to a future that the devil wants for people, not for what God wants. But when you get with the most raucous person like Dave Wilkerson, the famous Pennsylvania minister that got a passion of something he saw on television about the gangs in New York City, went into New York City, found the worst gang he could find, the Mau Mau's, which was run by a Puerto Rican guy named Nicky Cruz. Nicky Cruz pulled out a knife and he said, look, look, pastor, I can cut you up into a million pieces. Like the famous line. It was a huge book that was written. Do you know how many copies it sold? 50 million copies. It was a cultural phenomenal book for a Christian book like that. But it was an engaging story of these gangs in New York City and this kind of country guy from Pennsylvania going into New York City, not knowing all the ins and outs of gangs, but he just boldly went in the name of the Lord with agape love. And he turned to Nikki Cruz and Nikki Cruz said, I could cut you into a million pieces. Kind of the famous line out of the movie. And Dave Wilkerson says, and every piece will say, I love you, Nikki. Pooh! Nikki Cruz later on testified. He said, that was the moment. He said, something overwhelmed me. He became a believer, he became an evangelist, went all over the country, preached to thousands and thousands of people about his story. Who knows the countless thousands of people came to know Jesus Christ because one gang member in New York City's identity was realized in a moment by a very bold, compassionate minister of the gospel who spoke the words of God in agape love. Let's just bow our heads for Lord. Who's coming up here, is it? Who's ending? Jerry, okay, good.
Jay's not feeling well today. We're just going to pray. Jerry, kind of go after souls here and speak something over the crowd. Let's, let's release sons and daughters today. Lord, we just speak right now. In this moment, so much stuff is stirring in our hearts because it has been in mine. Who am I in Christ? What am I really supposed to be? Jesus. I want to speak and operate in love like Jesus did. Lord, hear our cry in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to our Sermon of the Week. You can help us reach others by investing today at BethelCleveland.com slash give.